This episode of Mr. Benfica is dedicated to the memory of Andrea Correa, a friend of the show, native of Providence, Rhode Island, who passed away sadly this week. Our thoughts and prayers are with Andrea's family as they get through this very, very difficult time. I certainly know that I will miss interacting with him on social media on match days, talking Benfica. He was a huge, huge Benfica. Really loved this club. And may he rest in peace. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 132 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. And this is going to be one somber episode, I I have to say. Um, just a real tough time right now. And, um, you know, <laughs> with it being the holidays and everything, this is usually a good time. But uh, a lot going on both with the club and in real life right now. And uh, I apologize for being gone for so long. You guys haven't heard from me in about a month. Uh, it's been a disastrous December for Benfica. And, uh, well, my, my work schedule just has not allowed me to record. And I don't have a lot of time to record this episode. But I had to come on tonight. And I had to speak on a few things. You guys have been reaching out to me. Appreciate all the support, um, and I know you all. Uh, many of you want to hear my thoughts on some of these things going on right now, and I will get to Jorge Jesus. I will get to the debacle against Sporting, the debacle against Porto, especially. Um, I will get to what I'm hoping to see on Thursday, on December the 30th. Uh, by the time you listen to this, if it hasn't happened already, it's it's happening soon. Um, but I will get to that before I say goodbye tonight. But as you heard on the top there, tonight we are mourning the loss of one of one of the family, one of our community members. Most of you knew him from Twitter. His handle was at Benfica Milmor. He was Andrea Correa, a New England kid here, a Portuguese American. Uh, loved Benfica. He he really really. Loved Benfica, and uh, I know I exchanged messages with him several times. I never met him in real life, which is a shame because, I mean, he he lived like less than an hour away from me. Um, Of course, with the way the world has been in the last 18 months or so, um, not a lot of people have gotten together and met up. And it, it is really a shame because while people are locking themselves in their houses out of fear, the world goes on, and uh, people people leave us. People move on, um, and it's very, very sad that um, so much time and space is being put between people, especially loved ones. And I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna struggle with the words tonight. I'm gonna str- struggle with what to say right now. Um, it's just a shame. It's just a shame. Life is way too short so please keep the ones close to you keep the ones you love close to you not let fear get in the way of precious time that you might have with somebody make the most of every day make the most of all your friends don't ignore somebody because you never know when they're not going to be around anymore um a lot of times, Andre and I, t- when we exchanged tweets or messages, inboxes, it was about wrestling. Actually, we talked, I think, more about that than we did about Benfica. Um, 
every WrestleMania, every Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, we kind of found ourselves both tweeting at the same time. I don't typically tweet during Benfica matches because of the way that I watch the match and the way that I'm all in. But when I watch, you know, professional wrestling, which is an absolute, um, just a break mentally from the real world, I, I do sometimes like to tweet and gauge what, what other fans are seeing online. And, and a lot of times our paths on Twitter especially, would cross during during big wrestling events. So in place of, of Reconquista tonight, in place of a th- the opening theme song, I simply want to play something I found appropriate given his love of wrestling, the way that they are honored in wrestling, to Andrea Correa. I'm going to be quiet for a moment, reflect and listen to uh, a 10 belt salute so the the bell will ring 10 times in honor of Andrea Correa Welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 132. And, uh, well, so much has happened, so much news to talk about as I shift gears now. Uh, part of the reason you haven't heard from me for a while, I'll, I'll give you this this little bit of inside information. Um, about three weeks ago or so, shortly after we, we left, it was actually on the night Benfica played Sporting, interestingly enough, uh, as I was closing up from work that night, working remotely, um, you know, working my day job remotely as I have since April of 2020, I receive an email at 7 o'clock at night. This was on a Thursday night, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was a Thursday night. I believe it was the night Benfica was playing Sporting, and I was crushed. And then to top it off, I got a message from my regional manager at, at the job, along with about four or five other my colleagues, that we were to return to the office and work in office once again, starting the following Monday. That threw a wrench in all of my plans. It was it was absolutely the worst possible time because my other job was absolutely out of control. Um, the worst labor shortage I have ever seen in the shipping industry. This holiday season was an absolute nightmare, and to top it all off now, I had to add an, a half hour a day each way, so an hour total of driving in and out of the office in my day job. Um, so my early morning job is, is a half hour drive. My day job is a half hour in the other direction. You can do the math. All of a sudden, the precious time I had for sleep was was gone. I had lo- I'd lost the total of an hour uh, when I was only getting three hours a night of sleep and it made podcasting impossible. I got to the weekends. I tried and I just couldn't do it. I could barely watch the matches. Okay, I, w- I was able to watch them, most of them on DVR. 
recorded after the fact and um I did use a sick day to watch Mexican Dynamo Kiev. Uh, I stayed home that day and watched, and I'm glad I did. It worked out usually when I call in sick to watch Benfica. Benfica loses. So on that one, uh, I worked out 2 nothing victory, which put Benfica in the round of 16 of the UEFA Champions League. And we will talk about that match a little bit in a little while. But um, the news, of course, now that I'm catching up, is, of course, that yesterday, Georges Zizouj stepped down as manager. He was not sacked. He stepped down. He reached an agreement. I think this is a deal both sides wanted, and that's why they reached an agreement. Now there's more more um, in the background than just the simple results. Of course, there's the humiliating defeat at the Dragon last Thursday. Last Thursday, two days before Christmas, to our biggest rival, to the biggest punks, the biggest bullies on the block. And our team cowered to them. We went into that stadium like children and we cowered to them. Now, George Zuz's exit for me is overdue. And I am usually the last person to be calling on the sacking of a manager. But there was no way that he could continue. He was suspended for the match. On top of that, he's courting his old club Flamengo all week visiting with Marcus Braj he doesn't even end up going there because it's been announced now and I've seen the picture on social media uh, of Marcus Braj and company arm in arm with Paulo Souza so Flamengo have hired Paulo Souza whisked him away from the Polish national team and now JJ is out at Benfica in being pointed towards Atletico, uh, Atletico Mineiro the champions of Brazil I wish JJ well in the future. I'm not going to hold hard feelings. I know a lot of people are. I've seen a lot of your uh, your thoughts, and the overwhelming majority of you don't want to, you know, uh, and rightfully so, are angry with him. I think he did a. I think this year and a half he spent here at Benfica was probably the worst work of his entire career. I, I think without. Without going back, you know, to the 90s and without going to, what was it, Felgueiras or Union Leiria or his stints at Vitória Guimarães, at Amora, Estrela da Amadora, the different places Jorge Jesus has managed. We talked about it when he came in 18 months ago. I talked about my concern about bringing a manager back for a second run. At that time, I did some research trying to find... Trying to find just success where where anyone has had success doing that, at least not in Portugal. Off the top of my head, I think of just a couple names. Bella Gutman, Otto Gloria, Sven Joran Eriksson, Jose Antonio Camacho, Tony, and now George Jesus. So please, nobody call for Kiki Sanchez Flores. That is ridiculous. But yes, George Jesus returns and is a shell of himself. George Jesus failed in many aspects of this job. But you may be surprised to hear me say he's far from the only culprit here. It's just he is the easiest to fix. He is the easiest to remove. 
he lost this locker room, plain and simple. And I thought that wasn't going to happen. But I did say, I did say, months ago when he came in, although I was feeling confident because this entire coaching staff came over after having conquered Latin America, after having conquered the Libertadores, after capturing the hearts of the Hubru Negro nation, a nação, one of the, you know, a fan base of 30 million or whatever. You know, after conquering that, I thought he was going to bring that momentum in here. And though he was not my original choice, I think you can go back in here. I had a lot of reservations, but I noticed early and recognized that he was LFV's choice. And there was there was no stopping it. The only way he was not going to become Mifika manager was if he did not want to be. And at a time where he looked eager to leave Brazil, LFV and Benfica, that private jet, offered him an escape. I said at the time, on another project, covering Flamengo, I said, and I, I remember this vividly, that I, despite being a Benfica fan, believed that George Jesus was making the single biggest mistake of his career, leaving what I thought was the perfect job for him. And coming back to this mess, that is, whatever goes on inside this Sport Lisboa Benfica club. He arrived. He said all the right things. He said we were going to play triple. We were going to play utriplu. I'm going to have to cut that out of the opening music, by the way, by next season. I'm not doing it this season. But by next season, I'm going to have to cut that that uh, cut that cut audio out where he's saying we're going to play the triple. We didn't play triple. Unless you're using the literal mathematics that we were playing nothing before. And triple of nothing, zero times three, is still zero. He failed on almost every single objective. It's not all his fault. It's easy to blame him. It's not all his fault, but he got a lot of things wrong. And I think that over the course of these 18 months and whatever many episodes that have I've recorded with him at the helm, I think I've been much more fair than I thought possible. Um, I really tried to look at each match in a vacuum, in a one-match window, and rate the performance of the manager in that match. There were days I said he did things right. That PSV uh, two-legged around this summer to get into the Champions League, he got almost everything right. That's why we advanced to the Champions League. The... Two matchups against Barcelona. He got right. Now, some of that has to do with the ineptitude of Barcelona. Some of that has to do with the arrogance of Barcelona, quite frankly. And the belief that they were just entitled to win at the no camp against Benfica. At the camp, no, excuse me. Um, the arrogance and the entitlement that they believed that just bringing in a former player like Xavi, he was going to snap his fingers and they were going to have their old Barcelona back. That obviously didn't happen. JJ got the best of Barcelona, and I guess that's something he can hang his hat on. There were the two matches against Porto last season. 
last, and I'm talking specifically of the two in the league, where we stood up to them. Our boys stood strong. They stood brave. They were not pushed around. We went into their house and had them crying that we played too rough. That was in part due to the manager. That was what I was hoping for from this manager when he arrived. At the end of the day, it just didn't happen enough. It just didn't happen enough. And to take those steps last year, to stand up to this bully that is FC Porto, to stand up to this team that is dirty, there's no question, they are dirty, they use intimidation, they use the power of the press to destabilize. Hell, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they, okay, maybe not they, but if their supporters group, and I'm thinking of a a specific leader of their supporters group, we all know Makaku, we've all heard of him, it would not surprise me in the slightest, I don't care if I'm assassinating his character, he has no character, it would not surprise me if he was behind in orchestrating the attacks on Nicolas Otamendi at his home. If you don't know, Nicolas Otamendi was robbed a week before we went to the Dragon. Nicolas Otamendi had four guys hold him down, force him to let them into his house where his wife and his son were asleep, traumatized by these four idiots using a belt, using a belt to choke him and to force him to do things. The fact that Nicolas Otamendi even took the pitch in such short time after suffering a trauma like that is impressive to me. In fact, I don't mind saying this. If Nicholas Otamendi were in Texas instead of in Lisbon, those four would not be free right now. And I mean that. And I support I would support that. Nobody has the right to trespass. Nobody has the right to choke somebody and break into their house, especially the wife and a child inside. There is no justice for those four men. Nothing can happen to them that would that would make up for what they did. That aside, JJ did not get this team ready to play this crucial match in the Portuguese Cup. And for me, I know not everyone agrees with this, but for me, The moment you put your backup keeper on the pitch against them, it's because it's against them that I'm against it. That tells everybody that this match is not as important as the next one. And hell, we needed a win so badly. We needed a confidence boost so badly. We were starting to run some good results in between the embarrassment at home versus Sporting and this embarrassment at the Ladrão versus Porto, we had some decent results. We got some a little bit of momentum. Looks like it was fake momentum in hindsight. But this team goes out and puts out a performance like that. And I'm sorry, when your manager days before is having coffee or whatever with his former club, he's courting his former club, you know that things are not right. If he's not focused, nobody's going to be focused. I don't care that he was suspended for the match. And that's another one. The league, or I should say the federation, hands down a suspension for something that happened last May. Now. 
What impeccable timing. And then they put Fabio Verissimo. Not Lucas, not Nelson. A lot of Verissimos. They put Fabio Verissimo in charge of this match. The man cannot referee a 14 and under match. A U14 match. The man cannot control anything. He's a horrible official. Horrible referee. The VAR screws Benfica. And none of this is an excuse for losing, by the way. These are just things that did happen and should still be noted that they did happen. Nothing from the club. Nothing. No, if that had been the reverse, and if we had scored, you know, if we had won and Porto had had goals called back from VAR, if Porto had walked out with the player's foot all mangled, all bloodied, all cut open, an absolutely animalistic injury, and a tackle that has no place in football from Fabio Cardoso. If that had been the other way around, had Otamendi done that to Luis Diaz? Do you think that Porto's powers that be were going to stay silent? Ours had nothing to say. And then, okay, you could see the writing was on the wall that JJ was on the outs. Because, first of all, I don't think he put much of an effort into this Porto match. I don't think he was in it anymore. I think Jean de Dirich was left on his own for this one. And if you saw the match, you saw him wearing the headset and storming up and down the sidelines. That means he was doing both jobs. He was doing his normal job and JJ's. Why was not someone else delegated to take the spot of the number two? Should have been somebody else wearing the headset talking to whoever they talked to. It just looked like they asked too much of the assistant manager in this one. And uh, he was given the press conferences. He was, I'm assuming, carrying out orders. But I don't know how focused JJ was when given those orders, to be honest. When planning this match, it didn't look like he put much into it. The question of three at the back is really, for me, secondary to the question of three in the middle, in midfield. That was addressed. And though he had a good game, I don't think Adel Tarapt is the guy for that. Maybe he is one of the three, and maybe it's 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 Weigel who doesn't play. Maybe you go with Romario and Tarapt, and you bring in somebody else to play with a little bit of steel. Problem is, we don't have anybody else. What Benfica needed against Porto and needs tomorrow, as I record this, you need numbers and and steel in the middle of the park. The middle of the park, where Porto are strongest physically. Porto attack at pace. Our backs, no matter who you put back there, guys, no matter who it is, no matter if it's a back three, a back five, a back four, there's one thing that does not change, especially with Lucas Verissimo out. Our backs are slow as molasses. Our backs, with the exception of Nicolas Altamendi, are afraid to tackle. They're afraid to go strong. They're afraid to stick their head in. They looked com- for as well prepared as we were to face Barcelona, and, I'm, and it's becoming very evident that it's not hard to prepare to play against Barcelona. I mean, it always was evident this season. But for as well prepared as we were to play Barcelona, 
We looked like we'd never seen this Porto team before. I watched back some of that match just before recording tonight. I I cut it down to about a, a thirty minute match, a thirty minute you know sitting or so. I watched the first thirty minutes to be to be honest with you, and. The TVE announcer says the Pifica caught off guard, surprised, surprised at the intensity Porto came out with when Porto scores 35 seconds into the match on a mistake from a goalkeeper. That's rusty because he never plays. I don't care how good he is with his feet. I don't care that you play the backup goalkeepers in the cup. This is not just a cup game. This is a Clásico. The team was in such a fragile state ahead of a key, key league match in which we now must take points at the very, very bare minimum. And we're missing half the team. You use the match before to put out your backup. And I understand some people are okay with this. I'm not okay with it against Porto. For me, when we play Porto, I don't care if it's a friendly. I don't care if it's a charity match. It's to win, and it's to win whatever way we need to win. I'm not going there to play pretty. I'm not going there to to play Jogo Bonito. I'm not going there to wow anybody. I want the win. I want to inflict damage on Porto. I want to put the ball in the back of their goal however we have to. If I have to punch it in with my hand, and if the VAR misses it, it counts the same. Any means necessary. That's how they play us. Again, it's the same old story. And this is on the manager. It's the same old story of boys against men. It's the same old story of walking in there like we're just going for a football match against a team that is going for a war. And I don't mean to use that that term. That's not necessarily appropriate. But they're going in for a fight. You can see it. They make a tackle. They get up and they celebrate the tackle. They're foaming at the mouth, ready to put a body on our players, ready to take the ball, ready to push forward. Our guys are there helping them up, showing good sportsmanship, playing nice, running out of ideas because they put an immense pressure on us and we cannot build up play for the life of us. Everybody's hating on Rafa because he didn't show up. Rafa, in order to show up, guys, the reason he still plays at Benfica is because he needs certain conditions to show up. One of those conditions is that the other team's uh, back line moves forward. The other team's midfield moves forward and creates gaps and spaces for him to get into. When we go down 35 seconds into the match and that team can now sit back, not that they sat back, but they did not have to risk sending bodies forward, guess what? The spaces for Rafa to get into and to use his pace, they don't exist. They don't exist because the other team does not have to take those risks. Not to mention that we have ourselves pushed back so far that if we do get him into space, guess what? Nobody is near him. Interestingly enough, if you go on YouTube, there is a Darwin Nunez versus FC Porto three-minute video clip, which is Darwin, okay, up to his injury. Um... To not talk about his goal that was called back by a VAR that invented a four-centimeter distance that did not exist. The line they drew went right through Fabio Cardozo's foot <laughs> with his heel behind it. <laughs> with his heel behind it. His heel, you know, behind where Darwin's shoulder was. was. And, again, 
the Portuguese VAR just absolutely uh, drops the ball again. I don't think it's a mistake. I don't. When it comes to that team in that stadium, I don't think it's ever a mistake. And I'm not giving the benefit of the doubt to anybody anymore when it comes to matches against that team in that stadium especially. But either way, when we play them, no. There's no benefit of the doubt anymore. They give us Fabio Verissimo last week, and tomorrow we got Hugo Miguel. Just think back to the twenty, what was it, twenty nineteen League Cup semifinal with Lige managing managing us, and Hugo Miguel was in the center making a mess of this match. Fabio Verissimo in the VAR calling back a clean goal from Befica, just like last week, just like last week. But at the end of the day, JJ did not get the job done. And I don't think he was in this match. I don't. I think he had already. Um, I think he was already close to to agreeing to his exit. And if you haven't heard, Benfica will continue to pay his salary through June. And I'm and fine. I, I we need a change. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, Nelson Verissimo has been appointed interim manager. I think that is a good selection given the circumstances. And if you haven't heard. Just another somber note is that yesterday morning, Nelson Verissimo's mother passed away. Nelson Verissimo did not travel with the team to Porto. He will meet them there because he is burying his mother. Or it was this morning he buried his mother, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he will then join the team. I went to Benfica's website. They don't have the staff up. I, this is going to be a makeshift staff, I'm assuming. I'm interested to see when we get to the match tomorrow who is on the bench with Nelson Verissimo. Because JJ's entire staff is gone. Joan the Dilge is gone. Manuel Monteiro is gone. Um, all of his, his list of assistants, all gone. The large staff he brought with him from Flamengo, they are all gone. And probably all headed to Atlético Mineiro in the Brasileiro, if that does end up happening. Um, so I'm interested to see who's going to be his assistant coach. I'm, uh, I'm assuming Pietra, who is a man of the house, he, he, he stays in house, he, he works under whatever manager's brought in, he'll be there. To assist uh, Nelson Verissimo. He assisted him last time as well. Um, I'm hoping that they give Nelson an opportunity to build a staff. A lot of fans are saying that sacking. Not a lot, but a number of you are saying that sacking JJ at this point is giving up on the season. I think it's the exact opposite. I think this is a last-ditch effort to save the season. To be honest, it should have happened after the Sporting match. Regardless of the fact that we had Dinamo Kiev just a few days later. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, Nelson Verissimo could have taken over for the Dinamo Kiev match. He would have been fine. Okay. There's talk about whether we're going to play with four at the back, three at the back. You guys know where I stand on that. But remember that my stance is based on the players that play. My defensive three at the back is is when the three are Otamendi, Vertonghen, and... Lucas Verissimo. From what I understand, even Vertonghen is out now tomorrow as well with an injury. Otamendi suspended due to two yellow accumulation of yellow cards in uh, this this cup match with Porto when he, he got a, a good body shot on on Luis Diaz. To be honest, uh, wished it had implied it had inflicted a little bit more damage. Um, him going down, holding his face is not a good look, but. Of course, he's he's playing in the house where he learned that, 
And if you don't think so, just rewind back to the first half. Uh, Darwin brushes up against Marcusine's jersey, and Marcusine goes down holding his face and gets a yellow card to Darwin Nunez. Darwin Nunez nearly loses his right foot in this match thanks to a criminal stamp from Fabio Cardozo. And to be honest, if I'm a veteran in that locker room, if I'm Nicolas Otamendi and cannot play tomorrow, I'm challenging a teammate to get a receipt. Yes, a receipt for that hit on Darwin Nunez. I want to see hard tackles on Luis Diaz especially. I want him targeted. And had I been able to record after the Sporting match, I would have said the same thing. Because you saw Sporting under Ruben Amorim, who I actually respect and think he's a very good manager. He was smart. They whacked João Mario every time he touched the ball in the first five minutes. They whacked him every single time. Again, a JJ, no response. There should have been a preparation for that. That should have been expected. And someone should have been in Pot's ear telling him that if his team doesn't knock it off, it's going to be him next. These players are so babied, they don't even know how to stick up for each other and how to fight for each other. The problems in this club are so deep that changing the manager is not the only solution. It's only the first step. Now, wh- why Nelson Verdissimo, some people say? They think that we could have gone and got someone in the market. Honestly, and I'm saying this bringing my experience in the past, obviously at a much lower level, but still, principles do um, translate I really think Nelson Verissimo, as as almost cruel as this may sound, needs to straighten the house. It needs to make this look like an attractive club to work for again. A lot of you have asked me, who do I want to manage this team? And, well... I've thought about that endlessly. I've thrown a lot of names out. A lot of Benficistas basically don't want anybody. If you look, they're not happy with any suggestion. If you if you go down some of the threads online and you look at some of the discussion, there are some fans that are not happy with anybody. There's nobody that pleases them. Um, for me, it's down to two guys now. And obviously this decision is going to be put off until the summer. So this could change because other guys could become available. But I do like I like Leonardo Jardim. I like Paulo Fonseca, but I don't believe either of them are going to happen. I like Abel Ferreira, but it's not going to happen, and I don't know that he's the right fit. In fact, I don't believe he is. I think Abel Ferreira is the right fit for the Portuguese national team, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, that's where I think he should, that's who should be trying to court him in time for March's playoffs. But they're not doing that. They're sticking behind their guy. Um, it really comes down to two guys right now for me that I know of. I'm not even going to say they're available. In fact, neither of them are technically available. But I think it's it's Marcelo Gallardo from River Plate in Argentina. A lot of people want to see him. And I think best case scenario, that is uh, that is a fantastic appointment. If that were to happen, it would, and I would like to see it with a Pablo Aymar as a, say, number two, being groomed to be the manager at some point. I think we need to get the mystic back, the mystica. 
Pablo Aymar, he just oozes, you know, mishtika. Pablo Aymar is a magician. Pablo Aymar is a favorite of the Romantics, but Pablo Aymar is not ready to be the manager of Sport Lisboa at this time. But I want him in this club, and I think the best bridge to bring him in is to put him on a staff with Marcelo Gallardo, the current River, River Plate manager who just won the Argentine Premier League. Okay, uh, And if he's not available, my guy is Renato Paiva. Okay, I watched Renato Paiva all season since he left. I watched Independiente del Valle in the Ecuadorian League. Renato Paiva goes to Ecuador. And we talk about how European we hear about how Europeans, you know, struggle in South America. It's different. There's travel, there's heat, there's altitude. Renato Paiva goes in there and wins the Ecuadorian championship. For a club that had never won the title before. Does anyone really truly understand how difficult that was? Or how extensive Independiente del Valle's search was and just how many <laughs> others Renato Paiva beat out to be offered that contract. There's a video on YouTube now. If you look it up, Renato Paiva uh, from Canal Ons, and he explains. And I know Nino Torres over at Gold TV has, has explained to me also in, in private message um, just the type of investment and just the type of ambition Independiente del Valle have right now. They've built a stadium. They have basically built a culture. And they handpicked Renato Paiva out of an enormous amount of, of candidates. And maybe we could learn a thing or two. Because we go up to up to now. The the, the, the appointment of, of JJ was an appointment to sell newspapers and to get votes for an election. I don't doubt that for one second. I know JJ has his fans. And to be honest with you, I, I'm still a fan of JJ. I'm just not a fan of JJ at Benfica. I'm not a fan of JJ at this club, at this stage of his career, and where our club is and what we need right now. It was a bad fit from the beginning, and I be- <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said that at the beginning, that this could very possibly be a bad fit. I had that, in- I had that instinct in me, and I had said, this I know I said specifically, that if this goes wrong, it's going to go really wrong. And now, guys, we are here, we're, we're in another Vietnam. This isn't a skirmish anymore. This isn't a skirmish anymore. We're looking at a third straight season without a title. All of a sudden, the Tasa de Liga becomes crucial later in January. And we got a semifinal with Boa Vista and hopefully a final. And if it's against Sporting, as it seems to be set up for, it's going to be incredibly difficult. They just kicked our teeth in. They just wiped the floor with us in our own house. This is starting to look like 1996, 97, 98 again, where there is just no relief in sight. I mean, no matter who we sign, no matter how much money we spend, the buys seem to always be the wrong ones. And I'm disappointed with the trajectory of some of these players under JJ, but I think some of that comes from the manager. I'm hopeful that that's what it was. I'm hopeful that Yardimchuk turns into a monster now. I'm hopeful that Nelson Verismu gives these players some freedom to play the way the B team did. I know there's detractors out there that don't think his work in the B team translates, but there are things he can bring. 
and things that he did well there that if he does with this group of players should work even better. I think a Yarimchuk-Rafa tandem up front may be the best way to go, although Seferovic is also available, and I think Seferovic may have to may have to fill in Darwin's role. He'll do it more successfully than Everton Sabalina. Huge disappointment, and I've rooted for this guy, and it looked like he was turning it around. But maybe he was the manager. Maybe now Everton is told to... Or maybe there's an adjustment made, and he's playing like he did at Gremio. And maybe he just finds his rhythm. He was asked to defend under JJ much more than he was ever asked to defend, whether it be at Gremio or at the Brazilian national team. Okay. And speaking of defending, that is still our major problem. No matter who the manager is, with Otamendi out, with Verissimo out, Lucas Verissimo, again, that name is going to get used a lot here. There's a lot of Verissimos in the, in, the, in the conversation with possibly Vertonghen out. Who, and Grimaldo also will be missing due to a uh, positive COVID-19 uh, test. Grimaldo out conveniently for Porto. Porto, ever do they have players ever miss matches for COVID? Especially important ones. I feel like when we have big matches, we always have somebody that goes down just before it. Very, very, very strange uh, how that <laughs> that virus seems to escape that club in that locker room. They must have really good security measures in place. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Um, but even if it's Grimaldo and Gilberto, who has the heart of a warrior but has the feet of, I don't know, a rhinoceros. I mean, if, if, if Gilberto's heart translated to, to his ability... He'd be one of the best players on on planet Earth, but it it just doesn't translate. I mean, heart can only take you so far. Gilberto cannot defend. <laughs> Grimaldo cannot defend. Lazaro, that's not really... Uh, we don't have any defenders that can defend. Here's why I'm so skeptical of playing four at the back. Because you're leaving your two center defender central defenders to do everything or you're sucking uh Weigel back between the two center backs and you know what you have in reality is a three-man back line again even if on paper it's a 4-4-2 if Weigel gets pulled back because Porto have three forwards to mark and whoever the right and left back are are too far up and there's gaps to play in Guess what? We're back to a back three. The team improved when they just accepted that and went to a back three and allowed Weigel to move up the pitch. The Weigel's role Mario pairing is not is not firing the way it was earlier in the season. Um, I think some fatigue is setting in for, for Joel Mario. He's, he's cooled off a little bit. Still a, a good and a consistent option in midfield, but nowhere near the, the form he was on early on. Um, so I'm very, very concerned for this match tomorrow. Um, it's it, it doesn't look good, guys. It really doesn't, but the flip side of the coin is that there's nothing to lose. 
And some of you have asked me who I would go with. And you know what? I would throw the dice at this one. I would, I would just, given the state of the club, given the performances of the veterans, here's where I go. Odie's going in goal. And this is if I, I'm actually switching to a 4-3-3 if I'm in charge due to the familiarity of the players I'm going to choose, specifically the center back pairing. In the middle, I am going with Tomaj Araujo and Morato. Those are the two I'm going with tomorrow. And with those two, I'm going in a, in a back four the way they played together uh, in the B team and in the in the UEFA Youth League some seasons back. I'm also asking Nelson Verissimo to give Ferro a go. Because if he can't, I mean, if in these circumstances he's not an option, he's got to be moved at this point. Um, and if anybody's going to get him back to the level he was at in 2018, 2019, Maybe it's his former, you know, assistant coach now, now manager, Nelson Verissimo. I'm, I've decided I'm going to withhold judgment on Nelson Verissimo. I'm not holding his first stint against him. <laughs> the locker room was in shambles, obviously, as it still is. We really never addressed that. We added some good pieces, but the obviously the bad pieces are still there. Everyone's pointing the finger at PZ right now, unless of course you despise. Jota Jota, you despise JJ as much as some do, and you're cheering that PZ um, is the catalyst for his leaving. If you don't know, there was a spat in training the other night, and um, also I think before that, before that, at the end of the last match with Porto, PZ uh, had some choice words. JJ didn't appreciate it. Just to make a long story short. JJ told PZ he's on the transfer list. He's not going to play for him ever again. This is the rumor. I don't know how true this is, of course. This is what other people are reporting. I'm not in there. I, I can't give this as fact, but this is what I understand. And, well, the players backed PZ. So for everyone who says that PZ's a bad apple, this entire roster stands with him. We can't cut the entire roster. And if we just cut PZ and move him, or even worse, blackball him like some people are calling, to the B team, you're going to lose the other 20-some guys in the locker room. It's not as simple as it may sound. Okay, um, This looks like this is a club, and I think this is where the trouble comes from. This is a club in a locker room that's run by the veterans. So everyone points at PZ, Andre Almeida specifically some of you point at rafa as well i don't i think rafa produces enough to be spared from that conversation but if you go back and listen to the episodes at the end of the 2020 season you know when we first came back from the covid break and we finished you know the season in that summer and we played through to september if you go back you would have heard me calling for the end of PZ, the end of Andre Almeida, especially Andre Almeida. And it, I've run out of patience for Andre Almeida. Okay, I know many of you have also. I hoped, I think I got caught up in the whole injury comeback story. I had hoped that he had grown up. I had hoped that, I don't know how to say it. I, I don't know, I don't think Andre Almeida is intentionally tanking right now. I think he's just that bad. 
Whereas I thought in 2020 he had given up. And again, because I am a big Bruno Lage guy, I took it personal when I thought that they they sunk Bruno Lage. I'm not taking it personal this time, and that that's a flaw in me. I think that's something wrong with me. I should. I think I should have taken both both situations the same, whether it's taking it personal or not. It's I, I think I should have a consistent uh, reaction to both situations. I had a problem with the team giving up on Rui Vitoria. I had a problem with the team giving up on Bruno Lage. And to be honest, I don't have that much of a problem with them giving up on JJ. This this was broken. This was an abusive relationship that should have ended or sooner. And the two sides just continued to keep at it for no good reason. Hoping with the appointment of Nelson Verissimo that we're going to see more Paul Bernardo. Okay. Some say he hasn't proven it. I say he has. I say he's done. When you compare him to the alternatives, who are incredibly inconsistent and have had years, if not months, months if not years, to prove themselves, they have not proved themselves either. I say give the kid a chance. In uh, even in, in Munich, playing against Bayern, under that pressure, he came into the match and showed. His ability to put the ball on the ground showed his ability to make simple movements, to create space, to make that pass, whether it's square, whether it's vertical. He knows how to turn out of pressure, find the open man, and move into the space to get the ball back. That's missing in our midfield. I'm not going to sit here and beat up on a Delta Rapt. He gives you what he gives you. He was decent. In this Porto match. He's been decent. When included recently. But I mean you want to compare. The ceiling on Paul Bernardo. And what we can get out of him. If given the opportunity. Versus what we're going to get out of. what's Whatever's left of Adel Terapt. I mean the, to me it's a no brainer. From a, from a coaching standpoint. It's worth the risk. Of putting a kid in there. I think Paul Bernardo has shown the composure against good opposition. Okay, whether it's in the he's shown a consistency, whether he's in the first team or in the B team, that to me matters. That to me matters. Now, put him in a game like Porto, where they're going to be overly uh, aggressive, overly, um, overly, you know, intense. Maybe it's not the best idea. Maybe Paul. This is a game where I think Paul Bernardo maybe comes off the bench. So, to get back to what I was saying, the the, the eleven I'm going to go with. I I stopped after the two center backs and got off of the topic. But you, get, I'm I'm personally rolling the dice and going with Tomaj Rouge and Morato. They're familiar with each other. They've played together. Okay. My left back is probably going to be. It's probably going to be Lazaro in this one, and I'm probably going to go with Gilberto just on hustle and just on heart. But here's the problem: neither one of those guys can play eleven, can play ninety minutes in the eleven. So you got to have Gil Diaz ready, in my opinion. You got to have. Well, you don't really have much else to choose from when it comes to the the outside back position due to the injuries, due to what's going on. Uh, Radonich is not available. From what I understand, Grimaldo obviously not available. 
Um, so I don't think you have many other choices. And Fehu is your your backup in the in central defense. For me, Andre Almeida is is not an option. I, I've he's been given his chance now. I think his time has come and gone. I mean, I thought his time was come and gone in 2020, but certainly now he brings more harm than he does good. And right now, if I'm Nelson Verissimo, I'm telling him we're going in a different direction. And I'm giving the opportunity to the kids right now. You guys have had your opportunity. And um, you've not answered, to be honest. I know we're only... I mean, we, we look... A loss tomorrow leaves us at seven points from Sporting, who won today. And... When a loss is as probable as it is, I'd rather lose with kids that can get better. Again, same thing. As I said about Tarapt, I say about Under Almeida. We're not going to get... We've gotten the best that we're going to get out of him. And this is removing emotion of what I think about him. Okay? This is just a simple, uh, you know, simple analysis. And I think we, we've gotten everything we can get out of him. And, and then some... He's overstayed as welcome, to be honest. And maybe maybe because of that injury, we kept him around longer than we should. That's another issue with this club. We tend to do that. We tend to rehab players before we get rid of them. Um, so, yeah, that that he's on the outs for me. He's on the outside looking in. That's my back four. Uh, midfield, you know, it's, again, not many options. I think you got to go with three in the midfield. And... It's Weigel and Dromadio, obviously, and perhaps for this one, as unpopular as this is, there's two options. There's Meite, who you bring in for a physical presence that he may or may not be able to deliver with. Or you throw a little shock and awe and you let Jetson play, and you bring a little bit more pace we're going to need intensity. In this match, I'm, I'm going with the guys that have the intensity that are available. Um, so, Jedson for me is definitely on the bench. If he's not a starter, he's an option off the bench in midfield because he can run at guys and he has to be hungry to play. And again, just like I said about Ferru, um, this is his old coach returning and maybe, maybe a spark can be rekindled there. Um, I'm keeping a Delta Rapt close as well for this one uh in Drome and paul bernard like i said uh as options and again very few players on this team now seem able to go 90 minutes so i'm looking at paul bernard and, and even tarapt to come off the bench um in this one and again because of the intensity as the match loses some intensity as some adrenaline comes out and the match naturally takes a little bit of a slower pace. You're looking at, you know, the the hour mark, the 70-minute mark. I think those conditions are ripe for Paul Bernard and for Adel Tarapt to maybe create something. Um, up front, I'm going with Yadimchuk on in the center. Um, a player who I think is very important because of his ability to play with his back to goal. His ability to play as a more fixed or target forward i know a lot of people are, are hating on his his finishing record but at the end of the day he's the only guy we have that plays back to goal that can occupy the two center backs from porto that can occupy mabimba and and occupy cardozo 
Cardozo, somebody who I'm, I'm, I've disowned, uh, a guy that for two off seasons I called on us to to sign. We didn't do it. He goes to the rivals, and now he completely shreds up our star striker's foot. Um, yeah, official in my book, officially excommunicated from Benfica Nation is is uh, Fabio Cardozo. Um, yeah, I go with Yaremchuk in the center. I go with Rafa down the right, and I'm going with, for now, Seferovic down the left in the place of Darwin. And I'm telling Everton to stay ready. What what can easily be done is sw- swap this into a four four two, and um, then you have again a four four two allows for a guy like like Tarap to come in or a guy like uh, Ber- Paul Bernard to come in. Play a little bit more in the right and left center channels, um, not not touchline wide. That that space belongs for the most part to the outside packs. Remembering, of course, that they probably won't go the whole match. Um, that's going to be a real Achilles uh, tendon for this team is the inability of the outside backs to go for ninety minutes. Or or Nelson Verdisi was going to tell them to pick and choose their runs and to be smarter. You still have Gonzalo Ramos also off the bench, who who is an option and can deliver if given if given the opportunity. Um, he may be able to deliver. You just never know. Again, another guy who's played for Verissimo, guy who's come through the through the system. Um, you're putting him in a system he's familiar with. If if Verissimo does play the four three three that Benfica plays from the time there, you know, from the time they enter eleven v eleven all the way through the B team. Perhaps he finds his niche as well and finds himself in some good spaces to get himself some opportunities. This is going to be a tough match. There's no question. Porto are experienced. Porto are strong. They are fearless. They are savage. They're, <laughs> I mean, they are rabid when they play us. We're going to have to weather the storm. We cannot surrender in the first 15, 20 minutes. Never mind the first 15, 20 seconds. First 15, 20 minutes. We have to be able to absorb that heat, absorb that pressure. We need to be able to absorb it and not make mistakes, play it safe a little bit, and slowly come into the game, in my opinion. But we need to match them on levels of intensity and physicality. And again, I want a receipt. I don't know who's going to deliver it, but I want a receipt for Darwin's foot. I want somebody on that team to pay. It's just an eye for an eye. One thing North American listeners may be familiar with is is professional ice hockey. This is specific to the NHL here in North America because in Europe they don't do this. But if Fabio Cardozo was playing ice hockey and he did that, he did any cheap shot like that on a player the level of Darwin Nunez, you know, the hockey equivalent, well, guess what would happen on the next shift? On the next shift, Fabio Cardozo would find himself face-to-face with the other team's tough guy, gloves dropped, fists up, and Fabio Cardozo would have one of two choices, cower like a coward and back down and lose the respect of the entire National Hockey League, the entire brotherhood of hockey players, or stand there and get his face pounded in by by a true tough guy. And the Portuguese League... And the referees in Portugal and the mismanagement of these matches make me wish we had a code like that in football. I wish that Fabio Cardoso would have to now defend his honor 
fist to fist. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but I wish that he would have to defend himself against Benfica's tough guy. Of course, Benfica's tough guy can't play because he's, he's suspended, which also works in his favor. But I don't want the receipt taken out on Fabio Cardozo. He's a center back. Any monkey can play center back for Porto. You can put anybody there. I want the receipt taken on a key guy. I'm talking Luis Diaz. I want him targeted. He's the best player in the Portuguese league by far. And I want him targeted. I want him afraid to run at our defenders. I want him, of course, we're going to, I just told you that I would be playing with two kids, which would make it difficult for that to happen. But I, w- I want to establish in this rivalry a fear at running at our players. The way we fear running at theirs. The way we fear it. We were we made so much progress last season. We made so much progress last season. And we took 10 steps backwards last Thursday. All right. I am running out of time. I have to get out of here. I have to get to sleep. Uh, I got to be awake at 1 o'clock in the morning. It is now 9 o'clock p.m. local time here in the northeast of the United States. So I've got about four hours until I have to be awakened back to work. Um, I will be recording this match tomorrow and then watching it when I get home tomorrow night. Um, hoping for a miracle. I just want to see a sign of heart, a sign of pro- uh, of pride in our emblem, in our jersey, in our club from these players. I want to see a team fight and I want to see a team scrap and work for a result. Um, I know that we're, these are tough odds, and this is going to be hard to get anything in that stadium, um, missing the amount of players we are missing. I'm not even getting into uh, much of the refereeing in the past matches. I'm not getting into much of the previous matches. I said I was going to get into the match with, with Dinamo Kiev. Looks like I'm out of time, but... We got a goal from Yadim Chuk against his former club there in that match. Um, that was crucial. We got another one after that from, if my memory serves me right, Darwin Nunez. I'll double check that. We got it from Gilberto. Excuse me, Gilberto Carlos with the uh, with the goal against Dinamo Kiev. We win two nil. We move on to the Champions League round of sixteen. We draw Ajax. Ajax are good. They smacked our rivals. I know that. But I don't think it's the worst draw in the world. I think they're a matchup that could work for us and give us some opportunities to play some football. Um, So I'm excited to see that. But this team needs to improve and needs to start growing towards that mark, you know, in February when we take on the Dutch champions over two legs. All right, so the match is Thursday, December the 30th. 4 p.m. Eastern Time here in the United States, 1 p.m. Pacific, and 9 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time. Um, Hoping for a miracle, that's all I got to say. I wish I were more optimistic, but this is really, really tough uh, position to be in. Um, Of course, my thoughts and prayers are with Nelson Verissimo as well as he buries his mother, you know, and as he deals with that at the same time as dealing with Quite a professional hurdle and challenge um, that has been dropped on his lap here. Um, again, I'm hoping this is the beginning of a turnaround. 
I'm just hoping that there's progress going forward and that match to match, there's something we can look at and we can improve upon and be happy with. I want my club back. At the end of the day, I want my club back. That starts with the manager. And I'm not disillusioned about the possibilities, but I'm just looking for some improvement at this point. I know this isn't the best, uh, most enthusiastic message, but it's a practical message, and I'm looking at it from the perspective of the mister, the perspective of the manager stepping into this. It's only day one, one step at a time. It's a large project, and like I said, I think his goal even if he doesn't know it, the goal is that he is going to clean this house up a little bit and make it look nice for the next guy at worst case scenario. Best case scenario, Benfica go on a run. They go on a tear. And we have Bruno Lage 2.0 here in Nelson Verissimo. I'm not holding my breath. Those kind of things don't happen very often. But this is not all that different from what happened for the guy across town, the guy that used to wear our badge, the guy that I have not excommunicated from Mavica Nation, uh, Ruben Amuri. Uh, so maybe there's some parallels there. You look at Ruben and you look at, at Bruno Leish, two examples of modern Portuguese managers that, that uh, have embraced this pr- temporary promotion turned into successful uh, top-flight career. And I think Bruno Leish is proving his worth now in the Premier League with Wolves. And here's an opportunity for Nelson Verissimo to do the same. I think he's a grounded man. I think he's humble. He's intelligent enough to know that this is one day at a time and not to look past any opponents. So hopefully this is uh, the beginning of something great. And hopefully we get this thing turned around and we don't have another Vietnam, another decade of drought. Okay, that's going to do it for episode one. 32 um again i apologize for the lack of energy i am absolutely beat i have never worked to this much in my life again like i said the the staffing crisis is it's absolutely insane nobody wants to work um has left me very little time and very little energy but i'm doing the best i can here and uh i look forward to being back with you this weekend uh it is new year's uh weekend I do want to make a couple points, though, before I go. I want to give some love and uh, some strength to Blessing Lumengu over at RTP. Blessing, who, if you don't know, is the finest and one of the most intelligent, most talented analysts in football, especially in Portugal. Works for RTP now. He's worked for Lateral Esquerdo before. Fantastic, fantastic analyst. The best in the business, in my opinion, and, and a couple of weeks ago, he was subject of some real online abuse, racial abuse um, from people just saying ridiculous things that I will not repeat. Obviously, I just want to just want to uh, make it known that I am team blessing. Blessing is one of the best. I think it was really classy of the guys over at Benfica FM to bring Blessing on their show after that happened. And you want to hear a good breakdown. If you speak Portuguese and you want to hear a good breakdown of what went wrong, Benfica versus Sporting, okay? And you want to hear why we lost. Not not the the yelling and shouting that we didn't do this, we didn't do that. I mean, you want to hear real tactical reasons, real mismatches, real imbalances that led to our demise in that match go listen to Befica FM from 
from just after that match. It in the, it's in the title called Sporting Benfica Sporting, and listen to Blessing uh, break that match down. He hits every nail right on the head. He is the best. So I want to shout him out tonight. And also, again, a big shout out to everybody putting together this uh, Benfica content, both in English and in Portuguese. Uh, Benfica Independent, uh, Benfica Podcast, Benfica After 90, O Cantinho Benficaista, everybody that is putting it out there. Um, you guys are all phenomenal. We're one big, I do really believe we're one big family, one big um one big community, and it was warming to me to hear everyone sharing their thoughts um, and their interactions with Andre, who I dedicate this episode to, the first listener I've ever epi- uh, dedicated an episode to, and I hope I hope it's the last for a long, long time. But uh, I'm going to say goodbye tonight um, in a way that I see fitting. Um, I pulled out. A song from my generation. I saw, I'm making. I'm aging myself here, but a song from my generation. Uh, anyone who's a fan of hip hop music um, and is you know in their late 30s, early 40s, is going to remember Bone Thugs and Harmony from the 90s. And uh, this is the Crossroads, and this is for you, my friend Andre. Again, rest in peace. And I hope if you could turn this around for you. And again, everybody, just appreciate the people in your life. Make time for them. Appreciate them. Give them your time. And keep an eye on each other, guys. Keep an eye on each other. Take care of each other. That's my my hope is that everyone takes care of each other. Good night, everybody. Let's make a miracle tomorrow night at the Lidron. Forza Benfica. Damu 38. Well, Mary, don't you tell the mother not to Martha, don't you mourn? Pharaoh's army, you know they've been
the family and how we grow. Can I get a witness? Let it unfold. We live in our lives, we turn our soul. Hey, Can somebody, anybody tell me why? Can somebody, anybody tell me why? 